At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. My name is Scott Hogan, and I'm a golf coach located just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Over the past several years, I've been searching for the knowledge that would make me a better golf coach and become someone who helps my students play better and enjoy the game of golf more. I never thought this search would take me to certain places or allow me to meet certain people, but as the search has continued and the knowledge has been learned, I want to invite you to join me along the way as we explore more ideas that help golfers and coaches become the most successful they can be. Welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. Welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name again is Scott Hogan, and I'm really excited to get this project started. This is episode one. And I'm really excited about our guest today, but before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what what is this about? Why am I doing this? Why uh, is this hopefully something that is worth the, uh, something that you're doing so or listening to? And the idea of the Be Epic podcast really came about uh, as I've become a golf coach, and actually it's a big part of what has ha- uh, allowed this you know, kind of thirst in this, uh, what I like to call an addiction, but hopefully a healthy one. Uh, it comes from our first guest tonight. He really started this, um, you know, this search and that's really for a search for knowledge and really being addicted to trying to have as much knowledge as possible. It really becomes kind of a rush when you learn something new and you really can, uh, use that information to help your students and players play better. So with that, you know, the, the journeys and the traveling around the country and to various places to just get more knowledge. That's what started for me. And then it started to realize, you know, with, with technology being available, uh, how could we make a platform that, uh, you know, selfishly helps me fulfill that addiction of wanting more knowledge, but also maybe allow others to share their ideas and, and spread their, their ideas that help uh, people get better to more people. So that's really where this came from and hopefully that's what will be our guiding goal through this. Whether you're a golf coach, uh, a golfer, you might find something in each episode that says, hey, that, that can help me going forward. If we can do that, then I think the the purpose has been served. So uh, really, again, excited to have you with us and hopefully you enjoy what we have going on. So Tonight in episode one, I couldn't think again uh, of a better guest, somebody that really kind of shifted the model for me. And I think when you hear the interview, uh, you're going to realize why. And he's a very insightful coach. And his name is Richard Franklin. He has his home base out of Deer Path Golf Course, which is up in Lake Forest, Illinois, on the North Shore. 
And he also, from his coaching success, has started a company called Discover Golf, which is a fantastic company, something that uh, I think everybody should check out. But beyond that, his knowledge and, and where he's come from to make that co- or start that company has really an interesting story and his insight into not only coaching, he has a heavy background in biomechanics, but his ideas about you know the human experience as they go through this game of golf uh, is something that I think every coach needs to learn. So I'm excited he he wanted to come on and talk. And what happens when me and Richard talk is uh, you know he always say we're going to do one episode or we're going to talk for just a little bit, and it ends up being a several hour conversation, which is the case here. So this is actually going to be broken up into a few different parts. So we're going to start tonight with part one, which really talks about Richard's transformation from, or you know, transition, let's say, from a heavy biomechanics coach to somebody that does more in the game design universe. And you're going to learn that, you know, the popular word of gamification, that's something is not what he likes to be associated with, and you'll start seeing why. And also, you'll start seeing that while I see people start saying that, those two topics, they tend to be very, very different. You'll start seeing that maybe they aren't so different after all. So again, really excited. Thank you so much for tuning in and hopefully you enjoy uh, what we got coming up. All right. So we're joined by Richard Franklin. Thank you, Richard, for coming on. We appreciate you coming on here and talking a little bit of golf with us So uh, and spending your time. I know you're a busy man. So thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, so first off, before we get into everything, I just wanted to get a little bit of your background. I think you have a, an interesting perspective on the game from you know your playing background to all the way through your you know, your journey through teaching. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, shoot, I'll be 35 next week. can hardly believe that. I've been teaching now full-time for going on 10, 11 years, maybe even longer. Um, so been at this quite a bit. I played uh, professionally for a couple of years after college, a Canadian tour and bouncing around committees, state open, gateway, you know, stuff in Arizona. Um, and during that time, well, I guess I suppose important to note, you know, as, as a golf enthusiast, since I can remember, uh, Feel like I've seen my fair share of, of coaches and camps. Different philosophies coming up, so I was never afraid, and my parents were never afraid to push me and put me into coaching programs and you know seeing what fit. So definitely not um, self-taught by any means. So I think that you know is an important perspective for me now, um, which we can get into later. But. Um, yeah, during that time playing professionally, I was uh, working with Mac O'Grady a little bit in Palm Springs. I was based out of Tucson. So that was kind of an interesting time in my life going from uh, different styles, always feeling like the, the coach that I was with um, was, you know, never uh, empathetic is probably the right word to how important it was that uh, I was told the right thing, right? Understanding how important it was that 
what they were telling me I was going to work on for 10 hours a day until, you know, my back broke or, or my hands were bleeding, right? It always felt like the vagaries of coaching, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder with some of that stuff. And then so I get to Mac and as you know, you know, really before technology uh, was trying to map out exactly how the swing works. Some people might have contention with that statement, but he was certainly trying to take it a different direction. And I was enthralled with, uh, you know, the, the taxonomy, you know, that, that he was espousing and uh, the enthusiasm and the clarity, you know, in his communication. Um, and so, that was kind of the transition for me into teaching. And, you know, some guys will say, well, I thought too much under Mac and I got too technical. And I don't necessarily think that was the case for me, maybe a little bit. It, it really, for me, gave me hope that uh, somebody could be so articulate uh, about how the swing works, um, which I had never heard before. Uh, I, you know, after, like I said, after hearing, 10, 12, 15 different coach voices, you kind of just say, well, you know what? There's no clarity. There's no consensus. I don't take anybody seriously anymore. So Mac was the transition for me into coaching. Um, wanted to get my hands on. I felt like the missing piece for from all the Morad stuff was uh, measuring it, right? I wanted to see, uh, you know, what, what the CP uh, swing actually did on, on a radar. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see how some of this stuff um, translated. So he was one of the first guys to get the flight scope X2, right? I think um, that was sort of a big turning point for me. That was, that feels like a long time ago. Um, and was, was really combining my knowledge of Morad stuff with flight scope. And that was really the genesis of going on a very deep dive into technology, AMM, 8 sensor. Uh, I've had a swing catalyst for a very long time, K-Vest uh, for a very long time, um, you know, which kind of led down the road. A golf uh, magazine called me techiest instructor, young instructor in the country, 2014. Uh, so I've been really interested in that that side of it um, for a very long time. So that's uh, that was uh, that's chapter one and chapter two of my life, the playing of golf life, you know, playing and then. Uh, tech heavy um, private instruction model. I was coaching Chip back around that same time, so busy with him, and um, you know was was doing that boutique heavy tech one on one grind um, for a very long time. And, and as I as I tell people sometimes, I kind of had a, a Jerry Maguire moment where felt like. You know, I, I'm absolutely diagnosing the problem every golfer that was coming to me, right? Their, their problem to the best of my ability, given what I felt was like the best in technology available you know, to a golf coach at the time. And really still to this time, you have gears and some improvements now, but it's a pretty robust, uh, you know, perspective to look through. And I didn't feel like I was going down the right track. Uh, I felt like... I could I could keep my book full and it was going to be popular um, and I could do that as long as I wanted to but uh, I felt like I was leaving a ton uh, you know off the table so to speak what were they going to practice how were they going to practice 
you know, were they really motivated to get better or, you know, was I just, uh, you know, featured uh, like a, an eight sensor AMM lesson, um, you know, what they're, they're just, they're, there's so much more um, to this, to this puzzle than, you know, mapping out and looking at uh, sort of the technical readouts of, of somebody's swing in a non-contextual environment, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, which, uh, you know, hitting, hitting a seven iron over and over again and using that measurement you know, as a, uh, you know, as a clean data point or as a, as a data point relative to what they want to do, which is score in the never-ending chaos of 18 holes. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into, you know, how, how, how strong that transfer is. Uh, anyway, that was, that was the beginning of the end for me, so to speak. Um, game design, motor learning, digital design. I pretty much tried to study everything I could um, to learn more about uh, how human beings worked holistically, how systems worked. Um, so I'm sure we'll get into all that stuff, but that's, that's hopefully me in five minutes. So as you can see, Richard has a high uh, level of competency in the biomechanics background. It was a heavy journey for him as he started off his coaching career, but it was interesting to see as he started to feel like there were some pieces that were missing, he started to make this shift that we're starting to see become more popular into uh, a common term that I would use, which is gamification. And when you start to say that to him, is a really interesting take on why he doesn't want to be associated with that word, which I thought was uh, a very eye-opening thing for me. It's funny, um, you know, this is a, an interesting format to, to kind of uh, discuss, you know, these things specifically. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, when you say gamification, and I use that word, uh, but it's funny to me, that's, uh, that's a dirty word. Um, that, that's a word that I don't want, um, that I don't want to be associated with. I understand that people's mental model of gamification is what it is. And so for me to say that, you know, discover golf, which is, uh, you know, my company and my software, um, I sort of, um, unfortunately have to use that word because people will understand what I'm talking about. So when we get into gamification, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to loop around and answer your question. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think of gamification as people using game-like properties, game-like ideas in non-game-like environments, right? So gamification is, is now uh, this buzzword that's used in, in enterprise business settings, um, you know, basically things that people don't want to do Let's make a game out of it, and they'll be more inclined to do it. Okay, well, that's, uh, you know, I've heard somebody say that's sort of the equivalent of putting chocolate on broccoli, right? So you think the games are the chocolate, the, the, the sweet thing that people inherently like. Broccoli is the workload that nobody wants to do. But in fact, what you've done is you've made neither palatable. Now the chocolate is no good, and the broccoli, which actually isn't that bad, is bad too when you combine them. Mm -hmm. So gamification is uh, one of the is one of the, the most dangerous concepts. I think uh, the mis the most misused concepts. 
I think for me, starting a gamification, which most people do when they're kind of thinking about how to design programs and so on and so forth, like how do I make a game out of this? When you start to tear that word apart, uh, you get into the more uh, important, I would say, almost philosophical questions like what, like what makes a game? What is a game? What is play? Are, you know, is play and games, are they the same thing? What does it mean to be playful? What does it mean to be gameful? What, uh, what is fun? You know, uh, these, these, these are very slippery concepts that great thinkers and philosophers and designers have battled with uh, for a long time. And anyway, I guess the bigger point is I found that to be a more enriching space to have my mind than let's say the bickering back and forth between whether somebody should be 70% left at lead arm parallel on the downswing or 50 or whatever, you know, like I, I understand that it's, it's important to suss out, you know, where the golf swing is going, where we can measure, you know, how we can measure it. But I don't find those to be from a coaching perspective, uh, you know, the, the, the real sweet spot. It's really interesting to hear Richard's perspective on the mechanics of golf swing because he's made such a committed effort to learning and learning how to use technology to map out a golf swing. Now, it might sound like he's trying to say that mechanics don't have a place in golf instruction, and I don't think that could be any further from the truth. But what you start to understand as you start talking to Richard Moore is this idea of human experience, what is being provided for the golfers that are in front of us. Not that it doesn't matter, but what there's a hierarchy of the performance, right? This 12-year-old, let's just say he's a normal 12-year-old who's, you know, he's shooting 90-something, right? Doesn't play a lot of golf, but he's thinking about it, right? He's a classic sampling age kid. Um, what's he going to need to be successful at this game, right? Well, he's going to need thousands and thousands of touches, right? He's going to need to chip, putt hit every club, every possible way in, like we were talking about before, in a, the chaotic environment of the golf course with his guts in his mouth, sometimes, sometimes not, sometimes not feeling good, sometimes thinking about his girlfriend or the fact that he's 14 now and he's growing. He's like the, You get into these way bigger ideas where you say like, okay, how do I wrap my head around trying to get him one step closer to taking that journey. Hopefully with me, you know, as his coach and somebody who can help him work through this. So then you say, well, why on earth am I interested in even going into lead on parallel? Unless, unless you, you, you have an intuition as to this is an analytical kid and you're going to kind of, you know, plant the seed that he's going to go into this journey with you where you're going to be able to quantify things. And this is a chance maybe he's not as physically gifted as some other kids his age. This is maybe an opportunity for him to think his way through this process, right? Which is which then now gets into you being somebody who is empathetic and uh, using psychology uh, as sort of your your touchstone as a coach, right? So there's that sort of lens that you're looking through. Um, 
So anyway, I just, I'm always, in fact, you know, you've, you've been through it. Our, um, our certification is three perspective, 10 lenses. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are sort of, you know, that boggles their mind. Like we're going to talk about 30 perspectives in in a certification. I say, well, I wish I had time for more because I think it's important that golf coaches understand and at least start playing with some of these ideas and like whether that whether i can it's not my intention necessarily to box that up and to get every single person certified i'm never going to be a tpi something like that who who does a nice job of maybe just distilling their message down into something that um you know people can comprehend it so Really interesting stuff from Richard as we continue on, but uh, this idea of the human experience and that golfers are all different. Golfers are going to be requiring different things uh, from us as coaches is a really, really critical idea. And I think as players, understanding that your own experience is exactly that when you go through the game of golf, trying to find your unique way and understand what you are capable of and what you're able to do is a is a huge part to your success in the game of golf so we start hearing about this user experience or this human experience what can we do as coaches what do we need to start doing to realize how we can help the most players have success in the game of golf how does the sort of micro culture around my facility how are they going to react to um, certain standards or lack thereof, right? There's a lot of questions to be asked. And then so what we do at Discover Golf is we create an education program around asking the bigger questions to golf coaches. Like, you know, again, what are you trying to get done from a coaching perspective, from a financial perspective, um, so on and so forth? And then let's create a customized junior golf curriculum that that speaks your coaching truth and it, it, it gives you the best chance to compel your unique tribe of kids. And so we have to we have to empower, in my opinion, our coaches to uh, understand what what the key decisions are. First of all, let's untangle that and then let's help you make your curriculum. It's not me it's not my job to say there's six levels in Discover Golf, and your level one has to complete this, this, and this. I mean, that's that's a linear mindset, and uh, I don't I don't believe that to be how junior golf goes. So there's a lot of questions we need to be asking as coaches. The real important question is, what would those key factors be that really help us get started? as we develop our coaching curriculum and our coaching platform that we're going to be using. What we think matters would, would be the perspective of behavioral economics, right? which basically tells us that human beings are um, erratic and yet sometimes illogically predictable decision makers. right? Things like uh, you know, how other people make decisions around you or the kind of choice architecture that you have in front of you, right? Think, things as simple as, um, you know, this thing appears in front of me now, and so I'm more likely to choose it. Or I've got something called a recency bias, right, where 
I've been thinking about this particular thing of late, so I'm more inclined to be thinking about it or decide to do it uh, right now. So understanding how human beings make decisions is one perspective that you should, I think, have your head wrapped around. Uh, the super simple version is that, you know, kind of the idea that emotional decisions get made. Would that be the super? Yeah, absolutely. But we all we all follow, you know, these kind of mental shortcuts, right? These this idea of heuristic decision making, where we think we're perfect, willful agents uh, of you know of our decision making process, and and we're not, right? We we don't have enough bandwidth, um, you know, to um, Daniel Kahneman's book, which I think a lot of golf coaches would do well to read. Um, you know, talks about. Uh, in another book, Nudge, which I'm trying to take the name of the, the author, um, you know, you basically have two kinds of cognition, right? This kind of hot and cold, where you can think through a problem in a, in a logical fashion if you want to, uh, but that takes up a lot of energy. And so to do that for every decision for the whole day would be impossible. So we create uh, shortcuts or heuristics, rules of thumb, like if this happens, I go this way. And a lot of uh, understanding how people make decisions uh, as a coach, I don't know what would be more important than that. that like the, the human being in front of me is more likely to do this if I frame it, right, like this. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, your job is to convince somebody ultimately to do something that is in their best interest, whether they know it or not, taking this approach that, oh, if I tell them that lead arm parallel is here, they're gonna use their cold analytical cognition to make that decision. That's not always, or actually very rarely the case. So yeah, emotionally laden response is, uh, is, is something that, this is the human condition, so we should know about it. So behavioral economics being the first thing that we want to think about as we're going through designing programs, designing games, and understanding what our players need as coaches. The next idea is this idea of deterministic modeling, which basically is a hierarchy that goes within a specific skill set. So what you'll see and you'll hear about Richard start talking about is putting, but starting to prioritize what you believe to be truth as a coach and as a player that's an important idea to take as you're looking for where you're going to try to get better but this idea that through the, each skill set what do you believe and what do you think to be true which again you'll start seeing the idea that technical side and the game side being really different you might start seeing that they actually blend themselves together really nicely to where they're not so different after all well you've got an infinite set of possibilities as to what you're going to decide to see i think coaches should have a structural organization of sort of the, the importance of certain things you could theoretically teach like a metronome tempo putting style right i'm I'm not the first person to say that somebody's taught that. Okay, you better have, I think, an articulated way, an articulated description as to why you're doing that, right? So, okay, are you doing that because for this particular person, it's trimming down their base rotation going back? Okay, well, 
why is face rotation important? It's gonna dictate starting direction. Okay, well we know that, but is their starting line matching, you know, is their starting line an issue, right? If they chronically or consistently, I should say, start at two degrees to the right, is that a problem? Okay, well, so what do we want? Do we want vanilla neutral or do we want consistent? Okay, if we don't, if we don't have a preference to the two, we're already in trouble, right? So now if you've got somebody who's two degrees open every single time, what is his targeting style, right? Is he underreading or overreading left to right, right to left putts according to, you know, to his bias or is he not? So if you can articulate that you're doing the metronome putting drill because it trims down his face rotation and thereby getting him zero, which only matters because it matches his targeting style or her, Unless you know you get where I'm going with this, you have a systemic knowledge of how the skill works. So this is what like yeah, you like to run discover properly or any coach, like don't get it twisted. I'm the game guy, I'm the fun guy, I'm the, the but if you don't understand how this works mm-hmm. from a systemic level, you cannot coach to, to, to the kind of effectiveness that's going to put you, you know, in a competitive market succeeding. So we get into it. I mean, like I said, I wish the certification would go 10 days because that alone, um, you know, could be a certification. But unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know, you know, there's guys like David Orr and some really good strong thinkers in certain categories who are going to put you through that uh, for putting specifically. I know I've spent some time, I've done um, some seminars with Sasha and those guys. He does a nice job of trying to lay out like a deterministic model for um, for driving, right? So club bit speed, ball speed, smash, we kind of all know that when that work goes in the club bit speed. Like this is a good way of thinking. Coaches should think like that in every aspect of the game and then think about it sort of holistically, um, that aspect of playing itself. So then there's that whole perspective. It should be able to to Never to the student, right, unless it's appropriate to some level. He should articulate exactly why he's doing every single drill. He should be able to articulate what coaching intervention or constraint intervention he's making based on their knowledge of the entire profile of the skill, all the moving parts, right? So when we start getting into game design, we will start looking at, well, what are your objectives, right? Do you have a a mechanical uh, intervention that you want to make with this student in a non-explicit way, right? So you want to, you want to create a learning environment that nudges, again, to use a behavioral economic term to make, to, to, to have the skill sort of organically emerge, right? Because you're constraining the environment. They're going to respond to that with what you want. But the problem is if you don't know what the right thing for them to do is, you're never going to be able to make a golf game because then what, then what, then what do you know what you're looking at? So then, then you need to base your games on something completely different. Then you need to work on a less risk. You need to work with potentially uh, less skilled players, more entry level players where it would be appropriate to not necessarily know the sort of mechanical ramifications of what you do, 
where it's more about engagement entry level fun. And then, and then your whole prism changes, right? Then you start working with the dynamics of fun and community and all of those textures within gameplay. And then that's your North star. So that's, um, this is why we, you know, this is why you have to look at it this way. there you have it that's part one with Richard Franklin again this is going to be the first of three parts of our interview with Richard Franklin where hopefully you are like me your notebook is full of ideas and thoughts that he presented about coaching and learning if you're a player so we can't wait to see what he has coming up in the future episodes in the meantime if you want to catch up more with Richard Franklin and learn more about Discover Golf, I highly recommend you check him out online at discovergolf.co or you can find him on Facebook if you search Discover Golf. He has some great videos out there. Uh, again, highly recommend you check those out. And he also has certifications coming up. That's something I did back in February. One of the best values you can find for coaches to learn more about his philosophy and what uh, Discover Golf is all about. And if you like the podcast, we really appreciate you listening in. What would really help us is if you can give us a review over there on iTunes or SoundCloud and that let us know that you're liking what we're doing here and the information that is what you want. And if you have any ideas, please send us a note. You can find me online at Scott Hogan Golf on Facebook or Instagram. And if you want to shoot me a note, let me know what you would like to hear more about love to hear from you so again thank you so much for tuning in to episode one and we look forward to seeing you in future episodes At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu gradschool.